chapter 15, if you want to turn there. We'll start there. I want to preach on the resurrection this morning. I know it's not Easter time. I understand all of that. But uh, the Bible doesn't say you just preach on the resurrection on Easter time. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's one of the greatest doctrines in the Bible. And so we want to kind of look at that today uh, on the resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15 and the first four verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. <clears throat> let's stand this morning and go to the Lord in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning, God, that we can call you our Lord. We're thankful, God, for salvation. Thankful, Lord, for the day you reached down and touched my heart, made me realize I was a sinner. Lord, I pray for people that are listening online today and those that are here in this audience. We pray, God, that you speak to their hearts. If they're not saved, I pray, God, maybe there's some that are going cold and different in heart. If that be the case, I pray you touch them today as well. God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for saving our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In February 1997, I stood in the Red Square in Moscow looking at the tomb of the most notable Soviet leader in the USSR. That was Lenin. Yeah. And as I stood there, uh, I, I began to think about another tomb I'd visited a few months earlier. It wasn't in Russia, it was in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem. And that was the tomb of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a difference in those two tombs. First of all, uh, Lenin is still in that tomb. He'd been there 100 years. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, the uh, history says that he, he died with a stroke at the age of 53 in 1924. So he'd been embalmed and displayed under glass in the Red Square for 100 years. Millions of people have filed by from, from now till then and looked at that body. But when I was in Israel, I went into where they said that Jesus laid. And I can tell you he's not there. Amen. Isn't that great to know that we serve a risen Savior today? Now, I don't know how many people visit uh, the grave where Jesus laid, but I know one thing about it. it was something that I looked at and something I was much thankful for to see that Jesus Christ was not in the grave. Now, Lenin was an atheist. He said if anyone believes in God, he's mentally deranged. Well, history... Uh, was born out the fact that he was the fool. Because yep. yeah. the Bible said, before history ever bore out, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. As I stood before Lynn's tomb that cold day, I thought of that tomb there in Jerusalem a few months earlier, and the tomb of Jesus Christ. And uh, praise God, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Now, I want you to look at, at some things today as I get into the rest of this message. Lynn's cadaver occupies the tomb in Moscow. And I want to say that the world is better off with him there than he is outside the tomb. But there's no cadaver occupying the tomb in Jerusalem. You can go in, into the tomb and no one is there. As a matter of fact, no one's been in that tomb for nearly 2,000 years. Yeah. Jesus just borrowed that tomb for three days. Three days. Now, that's all he needed that tomb for. On that cold Russian morning, I thought of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. That's why I love to celebrate the resurrection. It makes us think of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. You know, really every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Christ because that's why we meet on Sunday. The Bible says the disciples first met on Sunday after the resurrection. And the Bible says that you bring your tithes and offerings on the first day of the week. And that's Sunday. And so 
we're to worship on Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong. We're to worship the Lord every day. We're to pray to Him every day and worship Him every day. But Sunday, the first day of the week, is the day I believe that God picked out for the church to get together and to pray together and to worship together and to read the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 28. I'll read some verses there. Matthew chapter 28, the first eight verses. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. Verse 6 says, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where Jesus lay. Verse number 7, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Verse 8 says, They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Jesus had just been crucified. Joseph came, Joseph came and begged the body of Jesus from uh, Pilate, and Pilate gave him the body. And so he took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and the Bible said that Joseph laid it in his own tomb. And the Bible says that Pilate had a large stone. They said it probably weighed close to 3,000 pounds, rolled in front of the tomb. The chief priests and Pharisees were primarily responsible for the death of Christ. They wanted the grave secure. They remembered, and they called him the deceiver. They remembered the deceiver said that he would rise again on the third day. What they were afraid of, that the disciples would come and steal the body away and say that he had been risen from the dead. So Pilate gave them permission to secure the tomb. As Sunday began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to anoint the dead body of Jesus Christ. When they got there, no body was found. Isn't that great? I tell you what, I love to read that every, every time I read that. It just sends chills up and down my back. The angels delivered the news of the resurrection, invited them to see the empty tomb. They ran to share the news that Jesus was alive. Several things I want to bring to you this morning that we can learn from this scripture. First of all, the importance of the resurrection. The resurrection is a single sign of his deity. Now, some people think that the miracles are the sign of his deity. Well, Moses did miracles. Joshua did miracles. Many of the New Testament uh, prophets and, and disciples did miracles. Elijah did miracles. Elisha, Peter, and Paul, they all performed miracles, and they were mere men. So we know that this is a single sign of the deity of Jesus Christ was a resurrection. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit touched him in some way, and I don't know how it happened, but touched him in some way and gave breath to that body again. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 14, uh, the Bible says, And if Christ be risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also is vain. So if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. Right. And we've got a lot of preachers here in this audience this morning, in this auditorium, this sanctuary. And I know that Pastor Reg and I have been preaching about 41 years. And Brother Reg, if our preaching is in vain, every minute we spent studying the Word of God, every minute we've, we've spent teaching and preaching the Word of God, it's all in vain. Yeah. Thank God it's not in vain. Amen. I'm glad it's not in vain. And you other preachers that are here today, what you do for God is not in vain. And folks, even if you're not a preacher of the gospel, you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, many times, 
uh, he told those that he healed not to tell anybody about their healing. So the resurrection is a single sign of his deity. Secondly, it's a basis for my preaching. I've already mentioned that. Next, it's essential to our salvation. Amen. Look at the last part of verse 14. And your faith is also vain. Yep. If you're saved here today, you're saved because you placed your faith and your trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as he gave his life upon the cross. So it's essential to our salvation. People can disagree about some things and still go to heaven. You can disagree about eschatology, the second coming. Now you can disagree and be wrong if you want to, but it's all up to you, okay? But you still go to heaven and be wrong about that. Yeah. You can be wrong about some things about the sanctification. Maybe you don't understand it. You can be wrong about that and still go to heaven. You can even be wrong on the tongues issue yep. and still go to heaven. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a doctrine you must believe if you desire to go to heaven. It's the fundamental of the faith that's essential to the faith. Let me illustrate. There's some things essential for the car to run. You can go out there today and you can take the seats out of your car it will still run. That's going to be uncomfortable driving down the road, you know, trying to, trying to see where you're going and everything. But you, you, it'll operate. It'll run without seats. It'll run without brakes. It'll run and run and run and run. I remember when Grandma Kelly was alive, she'd come down there at the house one time, stayed with Mom and Dad. And Dad had an old truck, and the thing never had brakes on it. And she wanted to go up to the Graveyard Hill. You know where that is, Reg. And she wanted to see the cemetery. She hadn't seen it for years. And so she wasn't able to walk up there. So anyway, I put her in the truck, and we went up there. And while I was up there, I thought, well, I'll just get the cows in. So she looked at the cemetery, and then she got back in. We started down the hill. It's a big hill. Okay? We started down the hill. I started to hit the brakes, not a brake one. I didn't say a word. I kept pumping those brakes. Truck kept going faster and faster. Headed for the big pond down there. You know where the pond is. And the closer we got to the pond, the more nervous I got. Finally, I just turned away from the pond. And Grandma said, you're going a little fast, aren't you? <laughs> I never answered her. Your car will run without headlights, windshield wipers, an air conditioner, a spare tire. All of these are important, but not essential for a car to run. But a car will not run without a motor and a transmission. You're going to have those two things for the car to run. They're essential for a car to run. The resurrection is essential for salvation. Without it, you're still in your sins. The death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we preach for salvation. Jesus knew he would die for the sins of the whole world and often said that he would. He also knew he would rise from the dead. He referred to, about Jonah as, three, as Jonah will be in the well for three days and three nights, so will I be in the belly of the earth. Jesus said, destroy this temple. He was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about his own temple. Destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Jesus either said, he, he's either who he said he was or he's a liar. Jesus is either who he said he was, the son of God, or he's a liar. Yeah. He either says who he was, the risen Savior, or he's a liar. He's one or the other. He can't be both. Right. Jesus is not a liar. He cannot lie. Amen. So we learn the importance of the resurrection, number one. Number two, we learn not to fear death. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 56, 55. O death, where is thy string? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, as I read, I read that verse this week, I thought about this. Uh, Jesus removed the stinger from death. I remember one time uh, I got stung by a wasp and my dad was still alive. I was just a kid and he, he grabbed that wasp and he pulled the stinger out and threw the stinger, stinger away. I thought, why didn't you just smash the wasp, you know? Well, it wasn't the wasp that hurt me. It was the stinger. And I, I think it was Addie that came to me not too long after my first wife passed away, Myra. And she asked me one Sunday night, are you afraid to die? And I said, no. I think it was Addie. I'm pretty sure it was. But anyway, I said, no, I'm not afraid to die. Amen. And I don't know, you know, we need to think about death because you may be here this morning and you think about dying some. Before I got saved, I just, a young boy, I got saved by 11 years of age. And I would lay there at night thinking about dying. Now, just a young boy. And I would think about, I knew where I'd go. Well, no doubt in my mind, I'd split hell wide open. And I'd sit, lay there, and I'd think about it, and think about it, and think about it, and finally fitfully fall asleep. Night after night, I would think about dying. But after I got saved, I never was scared to die. As a matter of fact, I never thought a whole lot about the fact that I would die. I knew I would. But death is simply a door that the child of God must go through to receive all the glories and the joy of heaven. I read a story one time about a little girl. She was uh, going home one night and she decided she'd take a shortcut through the cemetery. And the other person that was with her said, aren't you afraid to go through the cemetery? She said, oh no, I'm not afraid to go through the cemetery. She said, my home's on the other side. Some of us will have to go through the cemetery. My first wife had to go through the cemetery. We may not have to go through the cemetery. I don't know. I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but I think it could be soon. Amen. So there we need to realize that we need not fear death if you're a child of God. Yes. And we also are still to go and tell the story. Matthew 28, and verse number 8. <clears throat> Matthew 28, verse number 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. As they went to tell his disciples... Behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now, why don't we respond like these women did to the angels' commands? Why don't we go and tell people like they did? They, were they scared? Absolutely, they were scared. I can only imagine how scared that they were. I think we don't respond like the women did because we get wrapped up in our own, own life. Right. Our job, right. our farm whatever it is we may have, our family, our friends. We put the sharing of our resurrected Savior way down on the list of priorities. How many people do we tell about Jesus? On Wednesday night, I've been asking prayer for Ramona's brother, Clifford. Pray for him. He admits he's not saved. I mean, he, he just, he'll tell you right off the bat, I'm not saved, but he's got some problems. And he just can't see his way clear to, to put his trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But we're afraid. These women were too, but they delivered the news anyway. We don't know how sometimes to talk to certain people. Neither did the blind man in John chapter 9. He just told people what Jesus did for him. Amen. We're not excited about our relationship with Christ. Yeah. A lot of times we think Christianity is a religion. It's not a religion. Amen. It's a relationship. Yeah. 
relationship that I have with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. My relationship is a personal relationship. I know you're, you have that, some of you have the same relationship with the Lord that I have, a personal relationship. The disciples got turned on for Jesus Christ. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. Why did they do that? They wanted other people to have that relationship. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well got saved. When she got saved, she emptied the town for Jesus. She had that relationship. Could it be that we don't share the gospel because we don't have that relationship that we ought to have with God? We need to have that relationship. She was excited about her relationship with Christ. When we get excited about Christ, we'll share that excitement with somebody else. Yeah. It's the responsibility of every believer to share their faith in Christ. Not just a preacher, not just a Sunday school teacher, not the church leaders, but the entire congregation of this church needs to share the resurrected Lord with others. Number four, we learn the proof of his resurrection. No one has successfully refuted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Uh, the Athenians did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They were religious, but they denied the bodily resurrection of Christ. They said Paul was a setter forth of strange gods because he preached Jesus unto them and the resurrection. As a matter of fact, they called him a babbler. When Paul spoke to Agrippa about the resurrection, Festus said, Paul was out of his mind. He said, much learning hath made thee mad. Many theories have been offered in an attempt to explain away the truth of the resurrection. There's the hallucination theory. Everyone who thought they saw Christ was simply having nightmares, hallucinations, all at one time. 500 people saw Jesus at one time. Were they all having hallucinations? I don't think so. There's a swooning theory that Jesus was nailed to the cross for six hours, beaten beyond recognition, the crown of thorns on his head, the spear thrust into his side, his apparently dead body laid in an empty tomb, but he wasn't quite dead. After a few hours, he cooled off, he came to, he got up, pushed aside the 3,000-pound stone, and he walked away. <laughs> I ain't got that much faith. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When the Roman soldier said this man's dead, they knew what dead was. Right. They seen death day after day after day. Every time they crucified somebody, they were sure that person was dead. Number three, the stolen body theory states that the disciples stole the body away from the tomb. The Roman guard was a 16-man security force. As a matter of fact, each man was responsible for six feet of ground. What you think about that? And yet they said the body could be stolen away. In order to get the tomb, you'd have to do, go through all 16 guards. Yep. Who would do that? Peter? Peter was afraid of a little maiden. Yep. The other disciples? The Bible said they all forsook him. Yep. Who was going to be the one that was bold enough to beat up and conquer the 16 men that were guarding that tomb? <laughs> then there's the wrong tomb theory. The disciples simply went to the wrong tomb. An already empty tomb. If they had the wrong tomb... Later they preached on the resurrection. Why didn't somebody show them the correct tomb and say, here is the body of Jesus? Also, he was seen by so many people. Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20. The women returning to the tomb to Peter later the same day. The Maest disciples, the apostles without Thomas. The apostles with Thomas, the seven at the lake of Tiberias. 500 believers on a Galilean mountain. To James in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. To the 11 of Matthew 28. His disciples at the ascension in Acts chapter 1. He appeared to Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He appeared to Paul in Acts chapter 9. He appeared to John in the, on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation. That is more than enough proof 
that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Then there's the empty tomb. The empty tomb is contrary to the precautions of his enemies. They did their best to see that the empty tomb would never happen. No other tomb in history was ever sealed to keep someone in the tomb. <laughs> Usually they seal it to keep somebody out of the tomb. Modern pictures show the Roman guard with wooden spears and miniskirts. Let me tell you what they were. They were lean, mean, killing machines. Last thing they thought of was wooden spears and miniskirts. They were lean, mean fighting machines, trained to fight, trained to kill. They would have died trying to defend that tomb from being broke into. It was contrary to the expectations of his friends. The women came to anoint the body. They didn't come to look at an empty tomb. They came to anoint the body. Disciples were all down in the dumps. Peter said, I'm going fishing. The rest of them said, well, we'll go with you. They weren't, they weren't thinking about a risen Savior. He had told them he's going to rise from the dead, but they weren't thinking about that. It was, in a, it was a week before Thomas believed they were not expecting him to arise. It was contrary to all other tombs of the history. The accounts never say anything about a resurrection of Muhammad. Muhammad died on June the 8th, 632 at the age of 61. Abraham, the father of Judaism, died about 1900 B.C., and he's still in the ground. <clears throat> These tombs are famous because they are full. Christ's tomb is famous because it's empty. Amen. These tombs are famous for what they contain. The tomb of Christ is famous for what it does not contain. There are millions of changed lives. Here's the biggest proof. Yep. If there were not one witness to the resurrected Lord, if they could not show you the empty tomb, if I had no other proof of the resurrection, the changed lives would be proof enough that our Savior lives. Peter, an arrogant, unlearned, foul-mouthed fisherman, became a dynamic leader, dynamic leader of the early church. Saul, a great persecutor of the church in history, became a changed man, most effective Christian in Christian history. Amen. Thomas became a man of great faith. History says he went down to the, to the country of India and there gave his life for Jesus. Earth. People here in this service have been changed by the power of the resurrected Lord. The song says, what a wonderful change in my life has been brought. Because Jesus came into my heart. Turn, if you will, to uh, in your heavenly highway hymns. Page 258. I don't know if I've got enough voice to even lead this song or not, but I'll start it. You guys can sing out loud, okay? <clears throat> what a wonderful change in my heart. Go ahead and sing. Jesus came into my heart. I have lied in my soul for this song I have sung since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into 
for Christ. He rolled it away with ease. I want to end with a story that really happened. <clears throat> An atheist was in the town square one day. <clears throat> he was demeaning Christ, laughing about the resurrection. He got done and an old country preacher was there. And he asked the atheist, he said, can I say a few words? The atheist kind of laughed and said, yeah, go ahead. The old preacher got up there and he said, Christ is risen. Amen. And the people answered him back, he is risen indeed. Amen. And you see, the early church, that's how they greeted one another. Yes. You and I walk in here, I see Brother Terry, I shake his hand. How you doing, Terry? They didn't do that. They come into the church, Christ is risen. And the answer was, He is risen indeed. Amen. Christ is risen. I hope you understand that. I hope you know that. I hope you experience that in your heart. Pastor, I'll turn it over to you.